Hebrews chapter 11 this morning, if you'll take your Bibles there. Excited to be introducing a new sermon series this morning. Preacher just uh, asked me to speak uh, earlier this week, and so I'd been planning this. And this first lesson actually goes real well for a Sunday morning crowd. And uh, I hope that you'll enjoy it this morning. But as we continue the series, it will be on Sunday nights. I was reading my Bible the other day, and this, there was a verse in this chapter that stuck out to me. And I love the book of Hebrews. I would say it's probably my favorite New Testament book. It just has so much depth. It, it, and the more you understand it, the more you realize how far you are from actually grasping its depth. And I just love this book. It's a tremendous book. And so I was reading this chapter. It's a very famous chapter. Many people would refer to it as the Hall of Fame or the Heroes of the Faith. I would refer to it as the Hall of Faith. And uh, all these people in this chapter exhibited a tremendous faith in their lifetime. And the Bible records these characters. And, and uh, what we'll do in the series is we'll look at each of their faiths and understand how they got to the point where their faith was so powerful that they were able to do the great feats and wonders that God did through them. And so very excited about it this morning. Hebrews chapter number 11, verse number 1. The Bible says... Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear." Now, the book of Hebrews was written to a group of Jewish people who had been saved. And they're coming out of this real rigid religion of Judaism. And th this writer here is writing to them and encouraging them about their stance and their newfound faith in Christ. And if you were to outline the book, you could say it like this. Chapters 1 through 6 speak of a superior person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible in Hebrews 1 verse 1 introduces it. It says, God who at sundry times and diverse manners spake unto us, but in these last days he hath appeared to us through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And that kind of launches into this explanation of who Jesus is and what he means to us. A very unique verse in the Bible is verse number 8 of Hebrews chapter 1, where God the Father refers to Jesus, the Son of God, not as inferior, but he refers to him as his equal and calls him God, and he's referring to Jesus. So that first six chapters of this book are speaking how Jesus is a superior person to all those that lived before him. And then chapters 7 through 10 speak of a superior priesthood. These folks are coming out of Judaism, which uh, relied much on the priest to offer their sacrifice. And they would come into the temple and there the priest would be. And he was held in such high esteem and regard by these folks. But now the writer of Hebrews is saying to them, hey, we have a much greater high priest than the one that you uh, deal with when you go to the temple. For that priest, he standeth and is always offering sacrifice. But this new high priest, Jesus, he offered once himself for all the sins of the world. And now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so there's a superior person. There's a superior priesthood. 
And then chapter 11, the book begins to introduce to them not a new concept, but a concept that had been somewhat forgotten in their original faith. See, the original faith that they had, that which was delivered to Moses through the law, was the same faith that they were to have in the New Testament. It was just a shadow of the things which would come. But the teachers and the speakers on this law, they had forgotten this principle. And this superior principle is found in verse number 1 of Hebrews chapter 11 when it says, Now faith. See, this uh, Judaism had become about rigid adherence to keeping the law. And they had gone so far to find loopholes in keeping the law. And they would uh, have different ways to, to keep the law and maintain the law, but they were doing it not in the right spirit. And now the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, it's not about what you can do for God, but it's what He's already done for you. And believing in that through His Son, Jesus Christ. And this principle of faith is what the entire chapter 11 is. And it goes on through the next two chapters following through Hebrews 13 to show that the whole purpose of this book is to show these Hebrew believers that the new covenant or the new testament or the new belief in Jesus Christ is far superior to the old covenant and the old way of doing things. The usage of these great heroes you see in verse number 4, by faith Abel, verse number 5, by faith Enoch, verse number 7, by faith Noah, verse number 8, by faith Abraham, uh, verse number 9, Isaac and Jacob, and, and verse number, uh, 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 you go on down, verse number 17, by faith Abraham, and, and verse number 21, or, or 20, Isaac, and 21, Jacob, and 22, Joseph. It uses these great heroes of the faith as examples of how they believed in, in God and it was accounted unto them for righteousness. And every great deed that they did was done through the faith that they had in God. It uses these heroes. You see, our world is obsessed with heroes. You can look at the movie theaters and just in the last 11 years there have been some 22 movies made by Marvel Studios. This is not even including DC Studios. This is just Marvel Studios and they've made uh, about 22 movies in the last 8 years. It began with the first one in 2008, Iron Man, and it concluded most recently with uh, Avengers Endgame and and man, they've been going on and these have all, they've created a sort of cinematic universe where we are hooked from one to the next and we got to see the next one to find out the conclusion to the story. And, and in 11 years, in these 22 movies, they have grossed over $840 million in revenue from these movies. And that was just uh, Avengers Endgame. If you were to take all the movies and add them up, they have made over $8 billion selling to us these heroes. I think it's pretty unique because when you think about where these heroes came from, it was comic books. And man, they've taken the, 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 the bubbles where they're speaking, you know, and Batman was saying, pow, zoink, zang, you know, and all these bubbles. And now they've just attached some combat choreography and some pyrotechnics to it. And man, we'll pay $15 to go watch that movie. It's really pretty awesome. But our world is obsessed with heroes and this idea of being a hero. 
These heroes are interesting because they all have different powers. You see, some are strong, some are fast, some uh, can fly, some cannot. They all have different powers, and they all got their powers a different way. But the thing that makes them a superhero is not the powers that they have, but the way that they choose to use those powers. You see, there's other powerful beings in the movies, but they're villains. But heroes are defined by the way that they use their powers. Not the way that they get them, not what they are, but how they use their powers. Sometimes I think we read through the Bible as somewhat of a comic book. We read of Noah and Abraham and Moses and we read of these great characters and they are no more real to us than maybe say Batman or Superman or even if you go into the Marvel Universe, Spider-Man or name the, name the character. We, we know that they did amazing feats, but the thing is they're so far above and beyond what we can achieve ourselves. We can't lift up a car. We can't run exceedingly fast. And I, as I realize, if I do, as I age and I do try to run fast, usually it ends very badly for me. But what I've learned is I can't do any of these things these superheroes can do. And, and I'm afraid that we read through our Bible and read of the faith of these great characters. And that's the way we view it. Well, I could never do that. There's no way that God could use me to maybe achieve some great purpose for Him in my life or in the lives of others. And we read through it as if they're comic book characters. But can I say this this morning? These heroes in chapter number 11 are just like you and I. There's nothing different. They're all men and women. They all face temptations. They all face struggles. And many of them even failed. But they were made heroes by the way that they chose to use the power of faith. Let's learn what faith is this morning as we begin our study. Number one, if you'll notice in verse number one, there is a description of faith. Now, if you were to ask somebody what faith is, it's a very difficult definition. And in fact, I don't even think that this verse is a definition. I think it's more of a description of faith. Verse number one says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And why I say it's not a definition but a description is because it uses two words. It says, the substance of things hoped for. That word substance means the setting or the foundation. In other words, if you were to go look for your wife a diamond ring, which, husbands, let's be honest, we haven't done since we asked her to marry us. Uh, but if you were to uh, uh, go look for your wife a ring, oftentimes you'll find that before you choose the diamond, you have to choose the band. And on that band, there is some sort of prongs that come up from that band, and that is called the setting for the diamond. It's the thing that secures the diamond. It's the thing that keeps it safe from falling off. And it is what holds the diamond into place. Now, my friend, uh, faith is not necessarily seeable. It's not something that people look at and say, man, that man is full of faith. But what it does is it holds into place the, the beliefs and the convictions that we have in our God. It is the setting for our Christian life. Faith. And it says not only is it the substance of things hoped for, it says it is the evidence of things not seen. That word evidence there means to bring about conviction. 
You see, if we were to put somebody on trial this morning and we were to have a, a, a courtroom here in the church, and by the way, judgments don't belong in the house of God. <laughs> Let's keep those somewhere else. But when we come here, the ground is level at the cross. We're all the same. We're all sinners in need of a loving Savior. Let's keep the judgments outside of the church house. But if we were to host a trial this morning and we were to put somebody on trial for committing a crime, what we might present is evidence. And that evidence is not necessarily proof whether or not they're guilty. It is to come to the conclusion of a conviction. And it is off that evidence that we might render a conviction guilty or innocent. And that's what this is speaking of. Evidence that we have that allows us to come to the place of full conviction in the, in the statement or belief of something. Faith is a very difficult definition to grasp. It's something hard that's too difficult to define. But, but faith is trusting in what is invisible. Trusting in that which isn't seen. Belief in that which has not yet happened. It is a settled reality that has not yet fully been experienced. There's a faith in Christianity that is incorrect. In fact, this uh, group of people have somewhat uh, taken the word faith and they've made it their own and they somehow have trademarked it as theirs and it's rooted in the charismatic movement where they have powerful faith. And what they'll do is they'll, they'll bring people up and they'll use their faith to heal someone. That's called faith healings. Or they'll, they'll begin to speak things. And by speaking those things, they'll act as if they're coming into existence. And they'll say, well, as long as I speak it and as long as I believe it and as long as I name it and claim it, it will come to pass. And I'm just telling you, that's unbiblical. Amen. It's not that way with God at all. For faith is not rooted in the prospect of the future, but it is rooted in the promises of the past. You understand? Faith is not something that we can somehow manufacture or manipulate our future. Faith allows us to trust entirely on the good promises of God. Faith. If, uh, if that was the case and this idea of powerful faith existed, what's the difference between that and a fortune cookie? You see, we go down to Panda Express, and we open that cookie there at the end. I don't know why we eat them. I think if we eat them, we feel like it's the seal, like it's going to come to pass. But those things taste like cardboard. <laughs> you eat those cookies, and there, I, I've noticed that uh, I feel like, I don't know, those statements belong, uh, you know, in a church house near Houston. Because they come out, and I've not, I've not really gotten a negative one yet. It's like... Hey, today you'll make more friends. I wonder when I'm going to get the ones like, today you're going to lose some friends. But it'll be good. You don't want those friends anyway. And then you got on the back of them lotto numbers. And, and we open these. And man, we always do it with such joyful anticipation as if we're, we're hoping. It's like, hey, today you're going to fall into a large sum of money. Well, I like that one. I'm going to keep that one. I'm going to name it and claim it. Why? What's the difference? What's the difference between going to maybe a, a tarot card reader or a palm reader and acting as if what they're saying is truly inspired because they're just forecasting the future. They're just trying to uh, say enough vague and general things that one day somebody might actually be right. What's the difference between that and meteorology? 
How many of y'all are thankful that we cannot trust the meteorologists in this neighborhood? I'm talking about you. Somebody was telling me they were on the lake the other day. Man, it's a beautiful day. It was about three Sundays ago, and I told them why this happened. But they were on the lake on a Sunday, and man, all of a sudden, y'all remember those straight line winds we had? It just kind of out of nowhere, 70 miles an hour. An hour. And uh, he said he was in the middle of the water, and before he knew it, those winds hit, shoved three different boats up into the trees. I mean, that's pretty bad stuff. And yet no meteorologist predicted that. What's the difference? Man can't predict the future, and our faith somehow cannot arrest our future to be conformed to what we desire. That's not what faith is. A faith that is divorced from the Word of God is a faith that is simply not true faith. Faith and the Word of God are directly linked, and yet you cannot divorce them at all. The Bible says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. What's unique about these people in Hebrews is most of them would have not been alive at the time of Jesus. Most of them would not have been there at the cross. Most of them would not have been able to see any miracles that he performed, and yet they were asked to believe the miraculous. The only thing different about these people and us is they're closer to Jesus only in geography and on the timeline because they didn't know him any more personally than we did. And yet they're being asked to believe in this the superior person and the superior principle and the superior priesthood. They're being asked to believe these things, not based upon their personal experience, but based upon the Word of God. Amen. The Word of God was to build these people and their faith in what God could do for them. Faith truly is the ability... To completely and wholly trust what God's word says and respond accordingly. By faith Noah. He had been warned of a flood that was to come. That's how he built that no. But that's how he built that boat. In a wilderness with everybody making fun of him, with everybody looking at him saying, No, what are you doing? I'm building a boat. Why are you building a boat for, Noah? Oh, there's this thing, it's called rain. No, it ain't never rained before. See, the meteorologist would have said it. No, it ain't never rained. It ain't going to rain. Noah says, no, y'all are wrong. That's the first time a meteorologist has ever been wrong in Bible history right there. By faith, Noah accepted what God's word had told him to do, and he was convicted and fully persuaded about it. It wasn't something that Noah named and claimed or somehow made up. Faith is directly tied to God's word. The description of faith is that it is the substance of the things that we hope for and the evidence of things not seen. We see not only the description of faith, but secondly, the deeds of faith. The deeds by faith is found in verse number 2. The Bible says, For by it the elders obtained a good report. The Bible here uses the word good report and it simply means a witness or a testimony of that which was done. The other day my wife said something profound. It doesn't happen often, but sometimes it does. We were talking, and I think we were talking to Kennedy Brown about things in the Bible and, and uh, some of the failures of the men of the Bible. And we were talking about it. You know what my wife said? She said, I am so glad that my entire life was not recorded for everybody to go through and pick out every flaw. Aren't you glad of that? I mean, we, we're pretty tough on some of these Bible characters. Aren't you glad that your name isn't... And by faith, Abraham, or by faith, Andrew didn't do that much. You know, aren't you glad that... 
Your name's not written in the Bible and you, you aren't being judged by everybody throughout the course of history. But these people in this chapter, they were not perfect people. They were not flawless people, but they were people of faith. And by that faith, they obtained a good report. Men like Joshua. Can you imagine being Joshua and receiving the instructions of God? Hey, Joshua, we want you to go and, and march around the city. And you're very specific. You're going to have to order everybody. You're going to have to have the Ark of the Covenant. And then everybody else is going to be behind. And then everybody else is going to be behind that. And you're going to follow around. And everybody cannot say a single word. And every day you're going to march around the city one time. But on the final day, Joshua, you're going to march around it seven times. And on that day, at the end of that day, you're going to blow your trumpets and everybody's going to scream and shout. And at that time, all the walls of Jericho, the most impregnable city in all the world, is going to come crashing down. Can you imagine being that guy that has to deliver that instruction to the people? It's like you're working in a pre-K class. All right, everybody, single file line. We need the Ark of the Covenant up front. We need our priests. Yeah. All right, everybody, don't talk. No hand, no talking, no whispering, hands in your lap, sitting up straight. It's like you're giving instructions in children's church, right? Everybody, we can't talk. We're just going to march around the city. Everybody, maybe the first day they're excited. Yeah, Joshua, you know, he's like this brilliant military mind. Yeah, this is going to be great. They march around the city one time. Joshua's like, all right, everybody can go home. We'll do this again tomorrow. And everyone's like, what? What? Doesn't seem to do that much. Maybe he's got a better plan for tomorrow. Maybe this is a distraction. Maybe he sent some warriors on the back side of the wall. When we're walking around, they're all going to be laughing at us. And then they're going to march up to the city and take it. Man, it's a diversion. Way to go, Joshua. No, next day, same thing. Next day, same thing. Could you imagine being the sixth day walking around this gigantic city and you're just sitting there tired? Can you imagine the parents with toddlers? The toddlers, Dad, my legs are hurting me. I don't know if they had strollers back then or not. You come on, we, we got nobody could say a word. Think of the miracle that that is. We talk about the wall falling down. There were kids in that band of people. And this is a real miracle. And yet Joshua, by faith, followed God, trusting in his word. And it was through faith that Joshua was able to accomplish the great victory there at Jericho. It's only through faith. It wasn't Joshua's plans. It was God's plan. It wasn't the people's shout or the trumpet's noise. It was God's plan and Joshua's faith in that plan. I remember many years ago, back before we had iPhones, back before Amazon was a thing, uh, my dad and my mom, it was coming Christmas time and they had instructed me to make my own Christmas list. And so uh, I was afraid... And my mom, not being too terribly familiar with the outdoor world, that she would get it wrong when I told Santa what I wanted. Get it wrong by giving the instructions to Santa for any children in the room this morning. So what I did is I got the Cabela's Master Catalog. And this thing's like a phone book. It's so thick. And I took that catalog and I went through it. And I would take this piece of paper and I would write down what I wanted. I remember I wanted a, a, a decoy, a deer decoy. And so I would write down, deer decoy. But I didn't trust mom to convey adequately the instructions to give to Santa. And so I, I took then scissors and cut out what exactly I wanted. 
uh, picture, item number, left off the price tag, but whatever. And I, I pasted that. Literally, it was the first time I'd ever copy and pasted anything in my life. And I did not use command V. I did not use control V. I, I mean, I just cut it out and pasted it. Dear decoy, boom. I did that all the way down the list. You know why I did that? Because I was not okay to just get an item. I needed this specific item. You know what God is instructing us here? He is instructing us that it is not enough to do right. But in every motive, in every activity, in every action of our life, right plastered beside it is it must be done in faith. The Bible says, for without faith it is impossible to please God. It's not enough to just live our life uh, uh, somehow apart from a, a life full of faith. We must constantly be engaging our faith in everyday activities. Charles Spurgeon said this, That man has not yet learned the true spirit of Christianity who is always saying, I can preach a sermon by faith. Yes, sir. But can you make a coat by faith? I can distribute tracts and visit the district by faith. Can you cook a dinner by faith? I mean, can you perform the common actions of the household and the daily duties which fall to your lot in the spirit of faith? What the Bible is telling us here is these people did great things, but it was not the great things that made them great. It was the great faith that accomplished the great things. Can you somehow use your faith to raise your children? Can you use your faith to be a witness and a testimony at your workplace? Can you use your faith to do the most mundane tasks of your life? How faithful are you? Not only do we see the deeds of the faith and the description of faith, I want you to see finally the demand of faith. The Bible says here in verse number 3, Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. It's interesting that God uses the example of creation as the the first proof of our faith. Creation. You see, we've all heard preachers and maybe we have seen this ourselves, we, we hear preachers say something like, well, we're all exercising faith at this very moment. See, you're all sitting down and you're exercising faith in the chair that you're sitting in. Have you ever thought about how many times a day we exercise faith? I mean, you go to the pharmacist, who's to say he puts the right pills in the bottle? Who's to say that the pilot at the airline is actually qualified to fly that thing? Have you ever gone up there and asked for his proof of license or whatever? We, 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 we just accept these things. Why? Because it's faith. But in that scenario, that is faith which is seen. Because when we sit down in a chair, essentially we evaluate the chair's ability to hold us when we look at it. We see it. We've experienced it in the past. And so we evaluate it quickly and sit down. That's faith which is seen. We assume that whenever we get on an airplane that American Airlines or Southwest or whatever the airline we're flying has done the research necessary and made sure that their pilots are actually licensed. And so it is faith which is seen. 
But that is not faith at all. You know what that is? That is trust. Faith is different. Faith necessitates that it be unseen. Have you ever thought about this? God uses the example of creation here. Do you know who wrote the book that details creation? Genesis would obviously be the book that tells us in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Who wrote that book? Moses. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. Have you ever thought how odd it is that somebody could give us such specific answers to how creation occurred when he wasn't there? Have you ever thought about that? In fact, I think that's the very reason that God chooses creation. Because guess who was there? No one. God, the Son, and the Spirit were the only ones there, and they made creation. Everyone else throughout human history has been forced to accept it only by faith. Faith must be unseen. Oftentimes we like to see the things that are up ahead. We like to see what's coming on, but that's not the way faith works. Faith is a total trust in the unseen hand of God. That's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Faith is not necessarily the enemy of sight, but they are not necessarily together at all. Faith does not have sight with it other than trusting fully in the promises of God. I close today with this example. You see, there have been some things throughout the course of history that we're able to use archaeological evidence and we're able to look back on it with maybe the writings of famous people and we can kind of glean what's going on. And, and really, I think that's what the Bible is. It's a, a, a book about his story, God's story, and it tells us everything about what we need to know about the past. It tells us about the future. But it's really pretty amazing that we can go down and like I've been to the Alamo and man, that thing was disappointing. You know, I got out there and literally the Ripley's, believe it or not, on the other side of the street was more impressive than the Alamo. And I've been down there, but we can go there and see it and it validates what we've been told all those years. So we, our faith in the teachers that taught me about the Alamo is somewhat validated when I see that. You can go and maybe find archaeological digs and find the bones of dinosaurs. And you can go down to Glen Rose and even view the tracks that are still in the uh, creek bed there uh, or the river bed there, the Brazos, and you can see these things. It validates our faith. But there is something that the Bible asks us to believe that we have absolutely no proof for. Think about this. There are no heavenly rocks that we can go to our museums and look at. There is no one in human history, or for that case, human future, that will ever enter the gates of heaven and be able to tell us about it. See, the Bible says, for to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I don't think God makes these mistakes like all these famous authors are thinking as they make, well, your time's not done. Well, then why did God put them there in the first place? The sovereign God of the world couldn't tell when it was his time. Are you kidding me? These idea that people go up to heaven, it's, it's ludicrous. It's unbiblical. And I, I'm sorry that rubs some of our faith the wrong way, but faith must be unseen. There has never been in human history someone to actually go to heaven. 
And yet, we are asked to believe it entirely by faith. Entirely by faith. Even by even the Apostle Paul and Isaiah, they were uh, somewhat brought up to heaven. And, and Paul says, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. He, he, he didn't know. And yet we have to accept heaven by faith. We can't interview anybody. We can't ask them what, they, what, what their perspective on the matter is. They, they have no more experience in the matter than we do. And yet we are asked to accept it entirely by faith. And yet, with no evidence, no proof, no real validation, guess what? I believe it wholeheartedly. Amen. I am convinced. I am convicted. I am fully persuaded that one day I'll be, to, I'll be able to go to heaven to be, be with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I am fully persuaded that those that have gone on before me, I will meet there in heaven. I will see them and I will know them. And while our relationship may be changed a little bit, for Jesus is the only one that really deserves admiration in heaven, I believe that I will know those that are there. I believe with my whole heart that it's going to be a beautiful city, far superior to that which is here on earth. You see, the very best that we have will make up the streets up there. I believe when we get up there, Jesus will be the center of all the heaven's attention. The angels will sing his praises and we'll join in in the song of the redeemed. I believe with my whole heart that there will be beautiful mansions there. You say, well, my Bible says houses. That's as good as God gets in your Bible. I'll stick with mine. I, I, I believe with my whole heart that one day we'll be in heaven. And I have no evidence I am asked fully to believe this based upon faith and faith alone. And yet I know it without a shadow of a doubt. You cannot convince me otherwise. Why? Because God has told me in his word that he goes to prepare a place for me. Amen. He would return to receive me unto himself. And where he is, I may be with him also. Amen. I know this without a shadow of a doubt. You can't convince me otherwise. No amount of uh, scientific hubbubaloo will ever convince me that heaven is not real. Because my Bible and my God told me it is. That's faith. Faith doesn't need logic. Now, faith is not illogical, but faith doesn't need logic. Faith doesn't need to be arrested to the laws of nature. By the way, it wasn't very logical or uh, uh, laws of nature when Jesus stepped out on the edge of a ship and said, Hey, peace be still. And the whole nature subdued. You see, faith is the absolute belief in everything that God has said. Faith isn't some cheap way of somehow getting what you want for your life. Faith is the ability to accept God's plan being better than yours for your life. Faith allows this. Hey, speaking of heaven, do you know you're going there? Do you know it? See, because my faith this morning makes me 110% sure. You know how I know that? Because when I was growing up, my parents would always tell me, Hey, Andrew, I love you this much. And then I'd have to make my arms, I love you this much. You know how I know I'm going to heaven? Because Jesus died on the cross of Calvary and he said, I love you this much. And he was going to prepare a place for me. And I know without a shadow of it out this morning, just as I know that this pulpit is here, and just as I know that you're in the room, I know I'm going to live in heaven when I die, and I have no doubt about that. 
Do you? I mean, this is the most important decision you'll ever make. You don't have to doubt it at all. You don't ever have to go to bed and wonder if something were to happen, whether you go to, whether you go to heaven or hell. You don't have to worry about that because my Bible says, these things have I written unto you that ye may know ye have eternal life. Well, where is life found? The Bible says that he that hath the Son hath life and he that hath not the Son hath not life. And Jesus says, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You see, the only way to heaven and to know without a shadow of a doubt that you'll be there is by accepting Jesus by faith. Have you done that this morning? There's a lot of heroes in the Bible, but the greatest hero of the Bible is Jesus. He saved my soul and I'm so thankful for it. And he can save yours this morning.